so I'm not necessarily willing to go back and say that if I were to start over today, I would also start managing the properties myself. I still think that the way we started uh, was very beneficial in allowing us to stay focused on our higher paying activities and also learn more about putting deals together, the acquisition side, and the things that really pay off. I think now there was just a financial reward for bringing it back in-house. Welcome to the True Wealth Investors Podcast, a show all about real estate investing to help increase your income, lifestyle, and impact. Hello, this is Chad Harris, your host for today's episode. Welcome everybody, glad to have you back. I am really excited today because we have a returning guest, Ryan Ingram. He was on with episode 22. He shared his story for how he built his portfolio of rentals and all the different businesses he is involved in. And at that time, he used a property manager while he was building his portfolio. Today, he has come back to share the process of transitioning from hiring a property manager to completely self-managing his portfolio. So without further ado, thank you, Ryan. Welcome. I appreciate it. Glad to have you back. Yeah, it's fun to be back so quickly. This is fun. And with almost completely different information now. (laughs) That's right. Totally new information. (laughs) Uh, A lot's changed in those uh, few months, really. For sure. So just for context, how many units are you up to now? Because I know you're adding units constantly. Yes, we just, uh, well, I got a little bit ahead of myself. So right now we are at 78, but tomorrow morning at 10, we're closing on a uh, gorgeous duplex and that will put us right at 80. So I'm pretty pumped because my brother and I set the goal at the beginning of the year uh, to hit 80 units by the end of this year. Uh, so we're a little bit ahead and that feels really good because we started the year with 38. So we've, we've grown a ton uh, wow. this year. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Over a hundred percent growth this year in a hot market. That's awesome. Yeah. Dayton is really heating up. You're right. Yeah. So, I mean, before we get into the management now, I got to ask, so, so many people struggle with finding deals. Are you, Do you have a certain path that you like? Do you like listed properties? Do you market to sellers for unlisted properties or what's your preferred method? So we don't do any marketing. We really love and support wholesalers. Um, It's not common from what I've seen to have one wholesaler regularly bring you good deals. Um, So I've gone through a lot of wholesalers. I I shouldn't say it like that, I guess. knowing more wholesalers than few fewer wholesalers is always beneficial right but we've also bought a lot of properties off the mls especially at the start of this pandemic we put in some crazy lowball offers and they were accepted so that was fun um, and that is one strategy that we've really leaned into a little bit over the past few months is if a property is sitting on the mls for any length of time then we will put in a pretty low offer um, sometimes upwards of like 20 grand off the asking price. And, you know, with the ash two week close, uh, I guess that's pretty enticing, especially if they consider their holding costs. So we've had luck there. Um, But really, I mean, man, I do my best to never stop talking about real estate investing to everybody willing to listen to me. And I think that has really proven to be a, a, a great, Uh, lead generation for people that need to sell properties. So, you know, just I've had contractors have friends or family members that want to sell a home. So they'll reach out to me first um, to see if I'm interested in that home. And, you know, some people are completely unfamiliar with the whole process and they don't necessarily want to go through a realtor or spruce up their house or put any money into it in order to get it on the market. So they just want to circumvent that realm. Um, but at the same time, I've also had some realtors bring me a lot of good deals too. So I guess to answer your question, all of the ways to find the deals is how we're trying to, except for marketing. We don't do any like direct mail or calling or 
anything that wholesalers would do. We really like to uh, circumvent that by just paying people when they find good deals. I think that's great because I think, you know, so many people feel kind of overwhelmed by the idea of trying to do direct mail or Facebook ads or all of the really time intensive activities that wholesalers are involved in. Um, so I think that's a great encouragement, you know, just, and, and as well, I know people who have sat on the sidelines and really haven't looked at any deals because they say, oh, the prices are too high and the market's too hot. So I think, I think your advice is great. Just keep looking. Any avenue is good. Just keep looking. Right. Right. And I would say, I would say sitting on the sidelines is never the appropriate thing to do. I've been, <laughs> Good I've been thinking about this a lot lately because a bunch of guys on YouTube are talking about the impending housing crash. And one guy was bragging about not having purchased any real estate for the past two years because he's been waiting on the crash. And it's just like, man, I built my whole business in the past two years. Like I, w- I wouldn't have what I have if I <laughs> sat on the sidelines. So I think about that man in the arena speech mm-hmm. a lot when I hear that, but yeah, please, please don't sit on the sidelines ever. Awesome. Yeah. A good deal is a good deal in a hot market, in a cold market, whenever right. there is opportunity, no matter what the market, there are people who want to sell and need to sell and money's not their key issue. So mm-hmm. that's awesome. All right. So we're going to drill down on the process of going from using a property management company for your portfolio of 78 to 80 units and now transitioning to self-managed, which I am sure would scare a whole bunch of people of trying to suddenly one day going from not managing any properties to managing 78 doors is daunting. So, you know, before we get into the details, what was it that prompted that transition? Uh, what what really made you, because I don't think in our interview, the you know, a few months back that that was even on the horizon. Right. It wasn't. Um, I would say I can relate for sure to being scared and overwhelmed to take over. Like it took me probably like a week and a half of just really, you know, uh, doing a deep dive and a bunch of self-reflection in why am I doing this? Why do I want to do this? Because I, I had this just monumental uh, fear of being bombarded by phone calls day in, day out, never getting a good night's sleep because of X number of calls. Um, and I was really apprehensive about that. But ultimately what had happened was we were growing so quickly. We were adding, you know, upwards of five, six units per month. And I don't necessarily, so I've got nothing but positive things to say about my property manager. Uh, She was phenomenal the entire time that we, that we used her. But at the same time, um, in order to keep up this pace of growth, then we really needed to have a bunch of, you know, uh, someone's full attention, I suppose. And you know, it was just very difficult. We hadn't drilled down the process for how do we add these properties into our existing portfolio? How do I get the tenant's information to you um, most appropriately and effectively? And I think communication probably could have increased everything a lot and coming up, sitting down and coming up with systems. But at the same time, you really, at, 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 uh, at growth of this size, we don't plan on slowing down, but speeding up rather, Um, So we thought that it would just help streamline our process to go ahead and take positive control over as many of these things as uh, we possibly could. Like we had one property that uh, never actually made it into their care. So we owned it like two or three months and it just slipped through the cracks and it wasn't actually being managed by anyone. Um, So that wasn't fun. And that just made us, you know, really want to take a deeper dive into all of this and figure out how we can have most control over all aspects of our business. And we had one accounting scare. Uh, We, you know, the property manager collected, I think like $35,000 and we were only dispersed about $4,000. So all of that is worked out now. It was just, you know, 
innocent mistakes, but and it was all corrected within like a week and a half. But but seeing that on paper, uh, okay, we can sustain one month like this. We could sustain you know three or four months like this. But if this were to ever happen again, it would dramatically impact our bottom line. And we're coming out of pocket for our expenses now when we shouldn't necessarily. So we keep very healthy reserves. Um, but nonetheless, during the week and a half while we were sorting that out, it led us to realize how much of our business we had outsourced, didn't have positive control over. When things are going great, you can't possibly beat good property management, right? You uh, collect all of your rent minus the management fees, and that's a good month, and you had to put zero thought, energy, or effort into it at all. Um, but when things go bad, you know, and you know, you've, you've heard, I'm sure everybody has their property management horror stories. We didn't have any of those, but at the same time, just reflecting on, again, I'm starting to repeat myself, but how much was outside of our control. And then also we knew that we were gonna take property management in-house at some point. We were hoping to get to the point where uh, we were paying around a hundred grand in management fees annually. That way we could hire, you know, two and a half people to just take everything over and really get um, all of the processes streamlined and whatnot. But with this move, we were able to immediately recapture about five grand a month in the management fees, which was awesome. And then we also, you know, are able to handle things a little bit quicker just because there are a few fewer hands in the mix. Um, so that makes everything a lot easier. Yeah. See here. Well, it's sharp, you know, I think sometimes people who self-manage kind of talk about property managers as they're as if they're opposed to the investor. And I don't think that's necessarily the case and definitely not your experience. Um, but I could see with your amount of growth, how just a growth mindset and a entrepreneurial, I'm building this big thing mindset is going to be drastically different from a property manager who's looking for stability and kind of status quo mindset. I could see how there could be some struggle in that. And, you know, looking at taking over management of 78 units all at one time seems daunting, but it's obviously easier than taking over management of 150 units, you know, right. one year, two years down the road. So along with your, it's never good, a good time to stand on the sidelines, right? There's no time like the present. The best day right. to do it is today. For sure. And another thing that we just started to notice is, and this is, this is not an issue at all, but with the amount of rehabs that we've done, we've got really close relationships with a few different contractors. So then we found ourselves in this predicament where our property manager would give us a quote uh, from their maintenance staff. And we'd be like, oh, I don't think that really seems right. Let our guys take a look at it. And then that slowly kind of devolved into anytime there was an issue, uh, the property management company would call me to figure out who, which one of my guys I wanted to send out. And it's just like, well, if that's the case, then now uh, I'm a lot more active and hands-on in this than I was actually giving myself credit for. So now we were kind of, you know, recreating the wheel and acting as an arm of property management. So. So you mentioned, you know, before you made that big switch, one big concern was you'd be overrun with calls all times of day and night. And were there other concerns that you had of kind of like the worst case scenario? What was it going to like to going to be like to self-manage? Mm -hmm. I think I was really nervous about, you're right, just the phone calls. And also, um, I, I already considered myself to be a really busy person and I just couldn't fathom how I would then uh, take on like an additional 30 to 40 hours of work a week to keep this, to keep this portfolio moving. So, I mean, what I did was I reached out to uh, all of the investors that I could think of here in the area. 
uh, that self-manage. And I was looking for people that had like f- between 50 and 100 units. That way I could have a fair comparison and mm. just figure out how, how many staff members they have, um, you know, how many hours a week do they consider themselves to spend specifically on the management side. You were one of the people that I reached out to, and you actually had the lowest number of four, probably about four hours a week. So, you know, that's when I dived in a lot deeper and said, okay, how exactly are these people's systems set up? And just did, you know, a pretty targeted survey of what software do they use? uh, How do they have their phone calls? How do they interact with their tenants on a regular basis? And I think the more I discussed it, um, the easier it it seemed to be once I got all the appropriate uh, paperwork and whatnot in order. So one of the most comforting calls that I had was with a guy in the area that has like, I think right at 90 units. And he says that he gets uh, less than one maintenance call per day. So I took, you know, at that time, I think when we took management over, we had closer to, I think like 64 properties. So maybe 70, I'm really not sure, but you know, he had more units and for him to take less calls than what I was expecting. That was just very comforting. That's awesome. Well, I I love your perspective of just reaching out to people who are doing it. Um, I, I feel like so many people kind of get hung up in their obstacle, whatever that is, you know, everybody has their thing that they wish they could overcome to get their business to the next level. And really, no matter what the obstacle is, there are people in that market or in their network that they could find, I'm sure, who have overcome those, those same obstacles. You know, it's very rare, at least in my experience, it's very rare to find a problem in building a real estate business that's never been dealt with before. You know, somebody's dealt with it before and overcome it. So I love saying that there's nothing under the sun. I try to think about that very often when I think I'm having some giant issue. And then sure enough, to your mention, I found somebody that's had the issue and I don't have to reinvent the wheel. I can just, you know, circumvent the the months they spent trying to solve the problem by just implementing the conclusion or solution that they that they came up with. So I, I think you're spot on. No need to reinvent the wheel, so to speak. Yeah. So for people who are nervous to do that, what was the general response when you reached out to people? You know, were they critical or did they try to keep their information secret or were people generally helpful? What was the the general response? So I made a few mistakes um, and I made this really pretty flyer that I went out and attached to the majority of the, of the doors of these units. And this flyer made no mention of us taking over management. So I think I said something vague of like, we're ready for you. It's a super cute flyer. Uh, <laughs> it's just like, you know, welcome to your new property management company or something. But uh, some of the people that got this flyer uh, were confused and they thought that I was attempting to solicit them to manage their property. <laughs> so, uh, so I generated a bunch of uh, phone calls and just concerns about me being a scam and trying to get their personal information. So I had to overcome that. And unfortunately, I, I already printed out all these flyers and I went to Staples. I made them like real thick and glossy. So I had to then go get a bunch of post-it notes and write like, we're taking over management from the previous company, you know, effective this date. Um, but so that was, that was, I guess, after I fought through that, everybody was super, you know, appreciative. And since we have several LLCs that own properties, we ultimately decided to create a management company. That's a separate LLC that truly uh, acts as the management company on behalf of all of the property owning entities. And that way we could have just one client facing company 
without confusion. I just thought that that would be the most simple reaction. So, you know, I went and got some shirts made with our little property management logo on there and tried to make it look really, really professional. It's awesome. Yeah. That's great. So what was involved in that structure wise, you know, besides a new LLC or a new logo for, you know, I'm assuming you have a website or, or some interaction mm-hmm. online with your tenants. Um, what else did you need to do for, to really fulfill that property management as separate from ownership? Was there anything else? So we created man- management agreements between the management company and the um, property owning entities. And then we also, you know, needed to get insurance. So both the general liability and also the heirs and omission. So if you are placing tenants and you get some sort of like discrimination lawsuit or equal housing violation, then that violation is not covered under the insurance that you just have on the property. So there's a giant need there for that errors and omissions so that you have coverage against claims like that. And then in addition, the general liability, which is, you know, the same thing that all businesses have. And in that general liability, uh, you know, that protects uh, something happened. I don't know. I'm not up on all of this, but the courts are starting to rule that if a subcontractor is in your property, fixing something on your behalf, then the courts are starting to see those as employees representing your company, whether they are actual 1099s or W-2s. So knowing that, um, we created, you know, with the general liability, um, since this is, yes, I own an insurance agency, but this type of policy is far out of anything I've researched previously. So I went and consulted one of my insurance mentors, and he helped me set this up. And in doing that, we also had to create agreements, contractual agreements between our uh, subcontractors and our management company. Um, And then, of course, there's the verbiage in there on how their insurance should be structured and how we should be listed on their insurance policy so that in the event that they accidentally do something that causes a lawsuit, it would, it would file there as well. So ultimately, I guess to answer your question, we put a lot of thought into how can we isolate the property owning entities as much as possible since we are starting this new role of which we are completely unfamiliar um, and we are taking on a lot more risk since we are interacting on a daily basis now directly with the tenants. So I wanted to mitigate that because I'm clueless about property management still. <laughs> um, and I think it would just be good business sense. Yeah. I, you know, our business, we talked about it and our business is structured very similarly. And I mean, it, it was the business system that you had previously, right? You had rentals owned in LLCs. They were managed by a property management company and you in, in essence oversaw that management company. And so I, I think it's great. You just duplicated that same model and uh, you you still have the rentals managed by an independent management property company. It's just that you own it and dictate how it runs. So that's sharp. I've never heard of the um, errors and omissions insurance in relation to uh, in relation to the rentals. I didn't know that that covered um, disputes like that. How much is that, or what what's like what's the cost for having that policy added on? Um, I think the one that we have it's right at about two thousand dollars a year. And the general liability, that policy is the one that is based on your uh, gross receipts. Nope, not gross receipts. The general liability is based on how much we pay subcontractors on an annual basis. Mm. And the errors and emissions is solely based on the nature of the business. And we actually, 
weren't able to go directly through an insurance company. We had to go to the non-admitted market because fun fact, since we own the management company and also the properties that we own, apparently there is some sort of insurance loophole where I could, the property owning entity, I guess it could work either way. Anyway, I could open up a lawsuit on myself and the insurance company would have to, uh, you know, represent me or settle with me. So apparently insurance companies uh, did this a few times. So now none of the standard insurance companies are interested in writing insurance for property management companies that also manage, I mean, that, that also own their own properties. I think if it's like one or two and you have a bunch of other properties that you manage, then I, I think the risk goes away. But for all of the, for us to be 100% like that uh, was yeah. some red flags for them. Very unexpected, but a fun fact. <laughs> that is a fun fact. <laughs> I, uh, I'm really curious what the situation was that, that made that first case and made all that uh, necessary. So, no. all right, so let's get into the transition process. You notify all of your residents that um, you're a new management company or you're taking over management. And that wasn't necessarily smooth, but got it done. Was mm-hmm. there, were there other headaches uh, with that or how long did that transition take place? Um, it actually happened very quickly. So we made a bunch of phone calls uh, and we went out and I taped flyers to most of the properties. And I really just wanted to kind of overdo it to start things on the right foot. And we were also taking over management super late in the month. I think we made the decision. So we went with Appfolio and we were originally, I think, supposed to go live on Appfolio uh, the first of the following month. So like 45 days out or something. And then Appfolio set our company up extraordinarily quickly so we were able to like they did it with it they were so fast so i think the total process for us to get onboarded with that folio took like just right at a week and a half um so then we got the bright idea so like well let's not just sit on this equipment for the next you know 30 to 45 days let's actually like put it to use and you know let's just have one weird month where the previous management company collects some of the rents the ones that just fall through the cracks that we didn't notify uh, quick enough or the ones that have already paid their rent. We had several people pay their rent early. Um, so it went to the previous management company. And then after that, the other hiccup was that since the previous management company used Appfolio as well, we chose Appfolio because, you know, people like yourself, all the people that I interviewed, if they did use a property management software, they said that they don't have Appfolio yet, but at the next available opportunity, they will probably switch to that. So that was a consensus. And it also made things very easy for us because Appfolio was able to go in and do a data pool and auto-populate all of our properties and all of the notes that the previous management company had on the properties as well. So that was a giant time saver because now we didn't have to go collecting paper leases and importing those. Um, well, and it, yeah, just tracking all the communication between tenants mm-hmm. and the company and all the tenant information. I mean, yeah, that's huge. Yeah, but I, I sidetracked myself. The other hiccup is since uh, same tenants now uh, two management companies both using Appfolio, their data being migrated. This weird thing happened where uh, they had to do like a three-step process in order to for them to log into Appfolio's website and actually take it to our management company because oh. it was automatically routing them to the previous one still. So after that was solved, um, I mean, things have truly been a lot smoother. And, you know, Appfolio has a phone number that they give you that you can text to and from. So I would say about 90% of our communication is done via Appfolio's text messaging. That way we have records of everything. Things don't necessarily fall through the cracks. Um, so it's been really helpful. 
That's awesome. Yeah, I love love Appfolio. Yeah, so many integrated features, but yeah, we you know started using that more and more to the point where we hardly use funds at all, really. Yeah, and it's so much more efficient. Right, having the record is great, so you don't have a he said she said situation. So, the only thing that I heard, uh, I think Rent Manager has this capability, but Appfolio does not yet. Rent Manager has some sort of integration where it makes automatic phone calls on your behalf to notify the tenants of things. It either talks to them when they pick up or leaves them a message. And it also has a feature where, you know, for X number of cents per envelope, they will actually send letters for you as well. That way you just have to click on things. You don't actually have to print and shove envelopes. So I wish Appfolio would get on those features, but I'm sure, I mean, yeah. I'm sure they will at some point. Sure. That would be beneficial. I, I, I mean, I use Sly Broadcast to send out messages uh, to our residents, but that would be nice to have it integrated in that folio and then on record. And so. Yeah, I think written, from my understanding, Rent Manager has the ability to, everybody that has a balance after the fifth, it like, you know, starts making calls and whatnot. Sure. Okay. So, so how do you handle some systems? I know, you know, most people struggle with conceptually, how are they going to handle, you know, even if it's one maintenance call a day, you know, there are a whole bunch of things that, that if you don't manage your own properties, you, you really don't know how to do. So if we just take it through the process, how do you do some of the general tasks of property management, like applications or showing units or collecting rent or things like so, that? Um, app, so in order to actually do the leasing and take the applications uh, via Appfolio, then you have to pass like a few different like security features or whatnot. So we are not set up uh, with Appfolio yet because we still have to satisfy some of those things. Like uh, I'm running the property management company out of my insurance office. So I'm not able to point to a physical sign that says, you know, the management company, uh, it says my insurance agency. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of things I need to do there. And I've honestly been putting them off. So we are still outsourcing our leasing and all the applications. So uh, we are paying someone to do that, and then they have a copy of our lease. And once they find a good applicant, they just, you know, do the same thing, but on our lease, and then we take it from there. So that's been helpful um, because we wanted to really be careful about all of the things that we were taking on, uh, and especially the leasing part because it, you know, the risk. It, it opens up us up there for any sort of discrimination lawsuit. Not that we do that, but just thinking through worst case scenarios. Um, and then the other systems, I was really inspired by the way you set a lot of things up, but um, on this flyer that I sent out, I made a few things very clear. I said, uh, our phones are not monitored. So you have to either leave a voicemail or send a text message, but this is not a number that you can call and someone will pick up. So I, you know, went over the kind of the series of events. Like if you have a fire or a security issue, the 911 is the appropriate phone call to make, not us. Um, if you have any sort of flooding, then turn off the water main or the source to that fixture. Uh, and then, you know, leave us a message. If you can't get the leak to stop, um, or if you don't have heat, then that is something that I was wanting for someone to be able to call and uh, get someone pretty immediately. Because, you know, especially in the wintertime, no heat, you know, uh, can kill some people. So I still think that is an issue that I wanted to be able to communicate directly with tenants. So what we did is we set up, you know, a phone tree that reiterated all of that same information. So if you call this number, then you, uh, you know, are greeted. And I just walk through that like, Hey, thanks for calling. Um, 
you know, if you have X, Y, and Z do these things, if you have a leak and you can't get it to stop, press, you know, press two. And if you have no heat, then press three. And I, you know, got a phone system that allowed me to set that up. So one of my contractors, fortunately, I had no idea about this because this wasn't our relationship previously, but he actually offers the 24 seven uh, emergency calling. Now there's a fee for it, which is why I wanted to be very specific about what you should press two and three, four, right? I didn't want yeah. everybody to all of a sudden. Every call goes through. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm pretty proud of that. And it honestly seems to have, have picked up pretty good. I, you know, I, on, on that phone tree as well, it's just like, if you're looking to pay rent, like you can do so by going onto our website. If you have a maintenance request, then leave a voicemail, send a text message or go to, you know, our website and log in and do it there. So that has been really helpful for us so far. We've only had one like emergency, um, which truly was not an emergency. I could see how it was frustrating. She had raccoons uh, coming into her house, like a family of raccoons. But, you know, turns out that attic window was broken and had been broken for quite some time. So it wasn't necessarily an emergency. The raccoons, and she just recently moved in. So chances are the raccoons have been living in that property longer than she has. Uh, it was just her first indication of them. They hadn't signed a lease. What are you doing like that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, squatting, not paying any rent. They got to go to a victim. So I think I think that solution is awesome. And I think it points out a huge key fact with property management is that the, at least in my experience, the number one thing is just training the residents to follow the system you have. So it doesn't, there's no like one perfect management system. You know, you can manage your rentals how you want. I can manage mine how I want. We can both be equally effective. It's just having a way so that when you have somebody move in, you train them into what to do, you know, how right. to handle that emergency or how to handle that common maintenance call. So, right. And I think, uh, I think by and large, everybody was very receptive. And since, you know, for better or worse, I can be in a meeting on Zoom and also still answer like a text message from a tenant. So I think that we are able to provide a higher level of service by not accepting phone calls because phone calls, you know, take 10 to 15 minutes per interaction, whether it needs to or not. So I completely understand. We've got some uh, residents that we inherited from previous owners when we purchased the property that, you know, they're older. One gentleman is 70. He has no internet, no, no cell phone, um, you know, smartphone. So that isn't necessarily an option for him. And there's a few outliers that we've had to get creative and make exceptions for. Um, but nonetheless, by and large, we are only accepting electronic payments. And, you know, we're in the Midwest. We're about 10 to 15 years behind the rest of America as far as technology goes. And there are still people out there that are horrified of putting their banking information online or something like that. So originally I was going to be really rigid on that. Um, and I wasn't going to accept any alternative forms of payment, but then I would say that was the biggest complaint that we got because a lot of people had just been used to dropping off money orders, um, at the previous management company's office. So I did, uh, I did cave on that one and I do allow people to drop money orders off at the insurance agency. But I think uh, that's, that's the only thing that I had it planned a certain way and it just wasn't received well by many. Yeah. It's your company. You run it the way you want, you know, <laughs> <laughs> or the way that works. Right. You know, if you get a whole bunch of pushback on it, then yeah, why yeah. why pick that battle to fight? Right. So, 
another another guy that has you know a couple hundred properties he just recently started charging twenty five dollars for like an, an administration fee if anyone wanted to drop off a check uh, cash or a money order and I, I think that that would be something that I'm interested in looking into in the future um, but at the same time you know at folio they charge nine dollars for a debit card like 2.5 percent or something like that for a credit card and then the only free way to pay online is through an account and routing number um so i'm not so sure if there's just a button that i can click to absorb those fees or, or if they mm -hmm. have to be passed on but you know it's just so much stream it's so more so much more streamlined if people just pay online yeah Completely. You know, most of, you know, I'd say probably, probably three-fourths of our tenants still pay with cash, but they take it to CVS or um, one of those other locations and, and pay. So for us, it's just the same as online. But So you have that like little money slip. Right. Email out the, the pay slip. I think it's $3.99, which isn't you know, for them to process it. It isn't that much more for the resident as opposed to an envelope and a stamp and buying a money order. So that's what we've gone to, but we still have, a, I think, three older residents who don't want to transition and just on principle, I've been looking at, looking at the, the uh, fee for that, you know, but it's not a major issue. If that's my biggest headache, then right. I'm doing all right. So. Right. And when I started getting that pushback, I really thought about putting my foot down. It's just like, but at the end of the day, like, you know, this is the business. I'd rather have their money than not have their money. So I'm not so sure this <laughs> is the area that I should put a, a hard line in the sand on. Yeah, completely. Generally better to side on receiving the money, right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't have an MBA, but yeah, let's decide on that. Right. So, um, the only other one I think other people would be really curious about is how do you handle maintenance requests? You know, if you're getting, let's say, one a day or one every other day, or you know, however frequently, what's the process for that? So we've had a lot of really good um, streaks where we we go uh, sometimes as, as, as long as six days without a maintenance request. So on weeks like that, I just think it's awesome. But other than that, I mean, we really, so since we've done so many rehabs and since we have been pretty hands-on in that, we've got phenomenal relationships with contractors uh, and companies that we trust and have relationships with for particular things. So we've got one, uh, HVAC company that we exclusively use. So they get all of our stuff and we just, you know, we've got it set up with them where when the work order comes in for Appfolio, I, you know, add my little notes to it. If I want the, uh, Appfolio calls them vendors. I've never called them that before Appfolio, but you know, vendor instructions to where I'll put like, you know, if they told me something in addition uh, in a text message that weren't, that wasn't on the work order, I'll add that. Um, if I want them to, you know, email me back to make sure that, you know, they, they received it. But Appfolio just has a feature where you can email it to the contractor. So when I do get a maintenance request on my end from the property management side, it takes about, you know, 25 to 45 seconds to edit all of the information and send it off to the appropriate contractor. And from there, the contractor, uh, it's, it automatically gives the contractor like a little PDF printout that has the resident information. So they make contact, schedule a time and, you know, handle the issue. So I don't do anything on properties and I'm truly trying to keep it that way. So I think I have gone out uh, for some ongoing issues that never got resolved from the previous management company. I went out a few times just to kind of smooth things over, especially if they were like threatening on moving or something. Um, then I would go out, but I didn't do anything. I was just there to be super friendly. 
but I don't go out and like verify that the work actually needs to be done. So a few times I have paid like 25 or $45 to the uh, contractor who went out there and said, maybe I can see what she's saying, but this was just a very quick fix because it was just this one thing or something. I don't have an example off the top of my head. Um, I think one was like a light switch or a outlet not working. And it was just because the person isn't from the area and didn't realize it was tied to one of the light switches. Uh, okay. Yeah. Well, so I'm, I'm okay paying like $25, $45 for that call rather than going out myself. Yeah. Yeah, right. completely. Well, and I mean, that's if you, if you're managing that many units and you only have to actually go out, only have a couple lingering issues, maybe three times in three months. That's pretty good. I mean, so that's great. So for anybody who is struggling with the issue, I mean, you, you've shared a whole bunch of great information. I love the, the conceptual things about why you wanted to go on your own and self-manage as well as the details of how you handle specific systems. Um, you know, at this point, looking back, would you encourage people in the process or what would be your stance if somebody said they were trying to figure out whether to do it or not? I think that's a great question. And I'm not so sure if I'm not willing to kind of change my mind on why I originally hired property management to begin with. I think I would be a lot less enthused if I had like 10 or 15 properties and I was recapturing management. Um, because the amount of money that I would be actually saving myself on a monthly basis wouldn't be as uh, large of a deal. But us recapturing five grand a month for the fees that we were paying, uh, not to mention the markups and the overall time loss because too many hands were in the pot, right? So a tenant would submit a work order and then, you know, five different conversations had to happen before it was resolved. So now the residents are getting a lot better service. Um, so I'm not necessarily willing to go back and say that if I were to start over today, I would also start managing the properties myself. I still think that the way we started uh, was very beneficial in allowing us to stay focused on our higher paying activities and also learn more about putting deals together, the acquisition side and the things that really pay off. And I, I think I think now uh, there was just a financial reward for bringing it back in house. Um, well, I think that is the transparent truth. The, the, the answer to that question is it depends, you know, it depends <laughs> on <laughs> where you're at in your investing career, what you want to spend your time on. Um, but I, you know, I think, Definitely the encouragement anybody should take away is that don't let fear of self-management hold you back if that's what will get your business to the next level. You know, in your situation, it was really beneficial for you to do it. In my situation, it made sense for me to do it from day one because I was trying to, uh, I didn't have other income. So I was trying to cut costs and really leverage my time. Um, so it made sense at, at that stage. So I think, you know, I, I could definitely also say, you know, to bring it to like, like you said, right, a, a middle of the road answer is knowing everything I know now about property management. If you have the ability to set up the systems appropriately to begin with, then I don't think it's as big of a time suck as I was making it out to be in my head. So there is that. I think uh, I think it's a lot easier than what people portray it to be. And every just like you said, everything is about the systems. So mm -hmm. I self-managed from day one, but I didn't have good systems day one. So in that instance, you know, I really hurt myself. But if somebody is starting out fresh on their portfolio as they're building it, I would say start day one building a property management company and all of the systems that go with that. Don't just get by with your one property or five properties. So I think. And I, 
I, I totally agree with you. And I wouldn't say when people, when we, when we are saying set up the appropriate management company and systems, I wouldn't, I don't think I would recommend even from an insurance agency's perspective, uh, I don't necessarily think that I would advocate for getting all of the insurances and whatnot, because that would just be, you know, super expensive. But at the same time, uh, you should definitely, as you are building your management company, act like you are already at, you know, 200 or 300 units and don't just think, oh, I've got one unit. So Sally Joe can call me directly anytime she so chooses. And I hope it doesn't happen at night. Like, sure, I'm up at 1 p.m. There's no problem. I could take the call. (laughs) Right. So, all right, Ryan. Well, I really appreciate you coming back on. Sure. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Appreciate the insights. And I know everybody will benefit from everything you shared. So if they're looking to find out more about you and get more of those insights, where should they find you? Oh, thanks. That was a, that was a really good tee up. Uh, I started a YouTube channel and I have committed to posting one video per day at 9 a.m. So it would mean the world to me if you guys just, you know, hopped on over there and click subscribe. Yeah, definitely. I encourage it. Uh, great channel, great insights. So yeah, and I actually walk through all the deals. I'm trying to go back and work through all of the properties that we've already purchased. But one of the big projects that I really want to put out there for everybody is, um, you know, exactly how I structured all these deals, how much the financing is costing, the insurance taxes, and you know, just projecting the cash flow and talking about how it fits into the portfolio globally. Just so, you know. Um, I think it's going to be really cool once I have a few thousand units to look back and progress yeah. and see how that was built. Yeah, see uh, the deals that you buy with 50 units, how it differs from the deals you buy with 900 units. Right? <laughs> oh, yeah. So, sure. All right. We'll definitely check out Ryan Ingram on YouTube. And uh, Ryan, thank you again. Look forward to talking with you next time. Absolutely. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the True Wealth Investors podcast. Visit us at truewealthinvestors.com to find archived episodes with show notes and links mentioned in each episode. Be sure to click the subscribe button today and leave us a quick review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to share how the show is helping you along your real estate investing journey.